I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke. We're carrying on in our series through this book. Luke chapter 6. And what a chapter this has been. It, it feels like the crunch chapter of the whole book. And we've still got quite a few to go, but Luke chapter 6. And we're coming to a section which uh, you might have heard of before, which has been often quoted, do not judge. You might even have used those three words yourself. But let's see what God's word says to us. Luke chapter 6, verse 37 to 45. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And Jesus spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let us remove the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye. Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Those three words do not judge. You'll often hear them quoted when there are rallies happening, especially about moral issues of some kind. And people put placards up and say, don't judge us. And it usually comes from the moral left, shall we call it. Leave us alone to live our lives. Who are you to tell us how to live? Don't judge us, they say. Your Bible tells you that. They're right but they're wrong. What does the Bible actually say? And we're going to have a look at this passage this morning. But before we do that, we've got to step back into Jesus' sermon. Remember, we, this is part of an extended sermon that's being given over here. If those of you have read letters in your Bibles, you'll see that this is Jesus speaking. And we've been going through Jesus' sermon. We've just been breaking it up a bit. And the context of this sermon Jesus started teaching was, how do you live a blessed life on this earth? How do you live a life that is blessed by God? 
And we've seen various aspects of how we live that life. Last time we got together around this passage, we saw that we need to put working clothes on our Christian love. In other words, we need to love practically. And even if it means giving up some of our rights. We need to love with a stretched out, a love that hurts. We need to love with a sacrificial love. Those around us, whether they are Christians or even our enemies, as we saw last time. And yes, it might mean losing what is rightfully yours. That's the standard we are called to. And then it ended with verse 36. Look in your text where Jesus says this, and this is actually the key verse of this whole sermon. And it puts the frame around everything that Jesus says for the rest of the sermon as well. Here it is. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. You see, it's all about mercy. If you want to live a blessed life, then show mercy as God has shown you mercy in these various aspects of your life. So what what does that look like in practice to show mercy? Well, Jesus carries on as he's been teaching. He now carries on his teaching into the area of judgment. Verse 37. He says, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Those three words... Thou shalt not judge, four words, sorry. They are the most misapplied words that anyone has ever used. Non-Christians use those words. Christians use those words. And I've heard it in churches where you point out something in someone's life and they say, who are you to judge? As Christians, we are not supposed to judge each other. We've got freedom in Christ, don't we? But is that really what Scripture says? It's even been used at times for an excuse not to apply church discipline. We can't judge. And so God asks us just to get alongside these brothers, these sisters. Let them carry on and let God do His work. We can't get in between. No. Is that what Scripture says? Does do not judge. Does it mean that we are not allowed to judge in any way? Are we not allowed to form or express or voice an opinion on anyone, no matter what they do? You see, it can't be. It's not consistent because a bit down this passage, Jesus himself makes a judgment statement. What does Jesus say? He says we must regard certain individuals, and he was very pointedly pointing at the scribes and the Pharisees. He was saying you should regard them as hypocrites and evil. Now, that's a judgment statement, isn't it? So, it can't be that we can't judge, but it must be in how we do it. You see, Jesus won't ever work against his own principles. And yes, he could see their hearts, and we can't. But later on in John chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus speaks about a righteous judgment. I'll I'll read you the verse. He says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So must we judge? He says, yes, judge with righteous judgment. So what does that mean? You see, we're so quick to judge on what we see on the outer. 
by those favourite rules even that we might have for what a Christian looks like and what a Christian doesn't look like. Have you found yourself doing that? Look at that person. They've got tattoos all over them. Now, I know Damien works in the prison. He's going to have a problem now because a lot of the prisoners have tattoos, don't they? So, can they be Christians and wear tattoos? Some of you might even have some. Can you be a Christian and smoke? Oh, man, when they light up their ciggies outside of the service, they can't be Christians, can they? What about buying lotto? I won't ask you to put up hands. Is it right for Christians to buy lotto? Now, please hear me. I'm not condoning any of these things. Scripture speaks about every single one of those issues but we're not going to go there today. You go and look up what Scripture has to say about those things. All right? That's not today's sermon. But the Bible says that we are not to be like the Pharisees. What does Jesus mean by this? Well, do you have an attitude of harsh, a rule-based judgment that is self-righteous and legalistic towards people? Do you find yourself with an attitude like that towards people? That's what Jesus is speaking about, you see. Jesus is pointing past the superficial. Jesus is pointing to the hearts, your, your heart and my heart. He's saying to us, what is your heart attitude like towards people and their actions? What does your heart say about them? Do you have a spirit of condemnation towards people? Or do you have a spirit of mercy towards them when you see them doing wrong things? Do you have a self-righteous attitude or an attitude of humility that recognises that you too are as fallible as they are and you too have faults? And were it not for God's grace, where would you be, you see? That's what Jesus is saying. I love that story of the woman caught in adultery. Here come these self-righteous Pharisees. Lord, I love the words they use. And you can look them up in John chapter 8, verse 11. Actually, let's turn there. John chapter 8, verse 11. Look at that passage over there. The self-righteous Pharisees come and they drag this poor woman before the Lord. And they thought, Lord, we've caught this woman in adultery. And I like these words, in the very act, Lord. She's got no room to squeeze by here. And the law says, we must stone her. What do you say, Lord? And what does Jesus say? that him who has not sinned cast the first stone. And what happens? They have a rock-throwing ceremony? No. They all start walking away. And Scripture says it starts from the oldest to all the others. In other words, they had a ranking thing over here. The oldest, the ones who are supposed to have wisdom, they are the first to leave because they realize what Jesus is saying. I'm not without sin. And then the youngest, the ones full of fire and ambition, they're the last to leave, but they also leave. And in the end, Jesus is left with this woman. Now, note what he says in verse 11. Verse 10. Woman, says Jesus to her, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And now note what Jesus says. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see, Jesus doesn't condemn her, but he does judge her. 
There's the difference, you see. He says, go and sin no more. It's a judgment statement. And he's right. But he doesn't condemn her. He gives her an opportunity for God's grace to work in her life and for her to make her life right before the Lord and to sin no more. You see grace in action? You see, we move so quickly from judgment to condemnation. I need to ask you a question this morning. Is there place for God's grace in your attitude towards people? I repeat that question. Is there place for God's grace in your attitude towards people? Is there space for God's grace to work? Do you have an attitude of mercy? Because if you do, says Scripture, you will receive mercy from God Himself and even from others because they see your faults and they will be merciful to you too. You see what Jesus is driving at? If you are merciful, you will receive mercy, not just from God, but from others who see this attitude in you which doesn't just condemn It gives place for grace. Do we have that attitude towards people, believers and unbelievers? How do I know that's what Jesus is saying? The text says so. Look at verse 38. Look at the illustration Jesus uses next. You see, this this little illustration has often been misused by pastors because they take this little passage out and they talk about monetary giving. Now, there's a principle here of if you give freely, you will receive freely, right? But it's not about giving. It's not about money. It's actually about mercy. It's in the context of Jesus' sermon. And that is why context is so important to us. You see, he says, if you give freely, you will receive freely. Look at verse 38. The context of this passage is set in the Near East markets where you'd go and you would buy grain every day. And they didn't have fancy little plastic baskets that you go to the supermarket with those days. You would go with your cloak or your... Well, it wasn't a skirt that they wore them in, hey? But you would go with your robe that you were wearing, that loose flowing garment. And the way they'd do it was they'd measure out grain and they'd press it down so it wasn't over, and so that it would even overflow because they wanted to show generosity and then you would open up the folds of your robe and they would pour it in there and then you'd walk away with your bit of grain going home. All right? Can you see it in your mind's eye? Sorry, I didn't want to wear one today. But he says, if your attitude is that you're going to be stingy and not give away properly what you should, press down and overflowing, then that is what you'll receive back, you see. And they all understood the context. They went to market every day. You see, Jesus is is saying, you need to show mercy freely and to overflowing when you work with people. For by your standard of measure, he says, it will be measured to you in return. By who? By God. If you are merciful, God will be merciful to you. Now, turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You're going to have to have nimble fingers this morning. We're going all over Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to read you a passage that has to do about money, by the way, so you can see the contrast. 
Second Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 8. But hear me, while this is about money, the same principle of generosity is spoken about. Exactly the same principle. Chapter 9, verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. He's speaking in the context of giving to the churches that needed money. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Same principle. If we give generously, whether it's what God has given to us in money, or whether it is in our attitude of mercy towards others, it will come back to us as God blesses us with his mercy. You see, the heart attitude is what is important here. Look at verse 39 and verse 40 as we go through this passage and ask yourself this morning, is my heart attitude right towards other people around me? Do I freely give mercy? Or maybe I'm like these people Jesus is pointing to when he, when he speaks about these teachers, these students who are just like their teachers, about the blind man leading the blind. And he uses two pictures here. The blind leading the blind and a teacher who aspires to be like, a, a pupil who aspires to be like their teacher. Look at what he says in verse 39. And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? Just think of the picture. Blind guy, white stick, glasses on, walking around. Another blind guy holding onto his cloak, glasses on, stick. And there they go, big ditch in front of them. What's going to happen? Okay. Jesus is using a very clear picture. Can the blind lead the blind? You people, and again, he's pointing at the Pharisees. You're listening to these Pharisees teaching you what God has not been saying. We looked at that last time. They were twisting God's laws to suit themselves. It's the blind leading the blind. Wake up and see it, he says. Do they show mercy? Do you aspire to be like them? How are you going to show mercy? You're going to fall in the ditch with them. And then he speaks about the, the teacher and the student. Verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Now, any student would like to be like their teacher. Because then they know they've kind of arrived, haven't they? But Jesus is saying, don't just aim to be like their teacher. He was pointing to himself here. The disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. You see, only Jesus can bring about the perfection in us that is needed in this life. Only Jesus can give us that mercy which is 100% of what he wants us to show towards others. So we must not aim at people, but aim at Jesus Christ and the way he shows for us. And so Jesus was really dissing, if I can use a good Wanganui term, he was really dissing these Pharisees. But he was pointing the people to say, don't follow them, they are leading you to destruction. Follow me. 
See, no one's reached perfection yet. We can only reach perfection in Jesus Christ. And that will happen one day. Verse 41 and 42. So what is the right attitude to have when we judge someone? We are to judge, right? But what is the right attitude we are to have? And here we come to this very well-known story. It's actually a hyperbole. What is a hyperbole? Any English teachers here? It's when you exaggerate something for making a point. And the people, when Jesus told the story, they must have cracked up. He's been fairly intense up to now, pointing at these Pharisees. But now he cracks a joke, but it's actually a very serious joke. And he points, and he tells this story about this doctor who's got this massive beam in his eye, and he's trying to perform eye surgery on someone who's got a speck in their eye. You see, he points to the exaggerated extremes. This beam he's talking about is... He's speaking about a heavy building beam. Now, I just found a little one over here. This is a plank. It's not a beam. Jesus is speaking about a big beam, and they were usually in the form of logs. It took two grown men to pick up these beams and to put them up into the top of a house to keep up that structure. That's the type of beam he's talking about. Do you see the exaggeration? Here's this little guy like me, and he's got this big beam in his eye. And he's trying to perform eye surgery. Does it make sense? And the other extreme is the speck in the other person's eye. And the word used here is the word moat. It's the old English word. It means the smallest bit of sawdust you can see. That stuff that remains in the air, but it gets in your eye. That's what this other guy's got in his eye. And so see the picture. Here's this guy with a plank in his eye trying to perform microsurgery. Can it work? Of course not. And that's the extreme Jesus points to. Who is this would-be eye doctor? Jesus names them. He says he's the hypocrite. Very pointedly pointing to who? The scribes and the Pharisees who were standing them among them. And also to everyone who had the same attitude, including you and I today. Do we have beams in our eyes while we try and point out others' faults? You see, there's a Pharisee in every single one of us. How do I know that? We all have this inclination to look for and to then severely condemn the faults, whether they're real or imaginary, in other people. We all do it. You can't help yourself sometimes. And sometimes we kind of lightly pass over those things which are massive in our lives so that we can see things in other people's lives. But we're blind. We're blind. I brought this plank here specifically just to irritate me, to remind me that I've got faults. And I'm sure it irritates you too because I'm, I'm not the tallest person now. And here I am kind of hiding behind this plank all the time. It's getting between us, isn't it? But you know our pride is like that in us? We can't do our work properly because there's this plank in our lives, this beam. And we try and help others, but we've got a beam in our lives. And you know, it irritates other people too, because they can see it in us. We can't. That's the nature of pride. It's the nature of sin in us. Others can see it, we can't. And that's why, if you want to know if you've got pride in your life, here's a little secret. Ask your wife if you're married. And if you're not married, ask your best friend. Have I got pride in my life? Is there a beam in my life? Tell me. Because you won't see it yourself, you see. 
We're a bit like that guy with a log in his eye. You see, if you've got pride in your life, it will hinder your work. Like this is hindering me now. It will hinder your work. It will hinder your witness into other people's lives. You need to have that plank, that beam removed. It needs to be taken out of your life. And how can the self-righteous attitude be removed from your life? Only through the grace of God. And that is why we've been singing all morning about the love of Jesus Christ for us. He died so that we could have these massive beams removed out of our lives. So that we can be used by him. You see, and once you've had that beam removed out of your life, then you will be able to see clearly enough because you've been through the experience of being able to help your brother or your sister and to, here it is, to gently restore them again. Gently restore, not whack. You see, we want to whack people, right? I know, as a pastor, I want to whack you sometimes. But I've got to gently restore. Why? I know what God is doing in my life. He gently restores me. Sometimes he wakes me. So watch out. But you see, it wasn't Christ's purpose to discourage mutual accountability between us as believers. It wasn't his purpose to discourage mutual discipline between us. Rather, it is encouraged. But it is the right attitude that matters. How do I know that? Again, Scripture says so. Look at the next illustration Jesus uses, verses 43 to 44. He speaks about the tree and its fruit. He says, a mulberry tree, I'm just translating now, a mulberry tree should have mulberry, shouldn't it? A lemon tree will be lemons. Imagine if you came out one day and there's your mulberry tree. You know what mulberries are? Of course you do. And there it is bearing lemons. It would be amazing. I put it on Facebook right away. But it shouldn't happen that way. It can't happen that way. We recognize a tree by its fruit. That's a lemon tree. How do I know? Because it's bearing lemons. Wow, that's clever. You see, we do it just with logic. So how come, when it comes to our Christian lives, we don't have the same logic in our lives? How come when we don't see the right fruit in our lives, we suddenly come to another answer? How come when we see the wrong fruit in our lives, we say, well, there's nothing wrong with me? You're misdiagnosing the tree. By a, by a tree's fruit, you will recognize the tree. You see, fruit is always true to character. And as believers, all believers, we are to examine our lives for the spiritual fruit, which is proof of the new life which exists in us. How do I know that? God's word says so. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 22 to 23 says, What should the fruit be in my life? Here it is. Do a little self-check now as I read these words. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You see, when you look at those fruit, how can there be room for a, an ungracious response to people? It can't be there. 
And if those fruits aren't there, then you are either not born again, don't kid yourself, or you've got sin that's grown to beam proportions in your life. Have God deal with them. Leave your brother in his or her sin. Go and deal with your sin before God first. And then dare to come and point to someone else. Do we get what Jesus is saying? And yes, we should be concerned. And yes, we should have a responsibility to each other. When we see our brother or our sister in Christ showing the wrong fruit in their lives. Yes, we must be concerned. We, we, we've got that responsibility before the Lord. But please note, and I want to put this in brackets, there's a difference when you're looking at someone else's life between failings and consistent sin. You'll know that in your life. Yes, we fail. We all fail. Put me in a car behind a wheel. Sometimes that's consistent sin, I think. But it's failing. We want to do what's right, but we fail. But there are other areas in our lives which year in, year out, year in, year out, we leave just like that and we think we can live with that sin in our lives. That is consistency. So when you look at your brother and your sister in Christ, forgive them their failings. And once you've removed the beam out of your own life, then get around them and speak about those consistent sins that you notice and that they might not see. That's what Jesus is saying. You see, we must mutually submit to each other. That's what the church is all about. That's why it's so painful sometimes to be part of a church. But that's God's design, not ours. And so when people point to things in your life as part of the church, don't walk away from us. Don't go to another church where they just don't even look at things and you can just come in, sing your la-la songs, go away and then life carries on. Stay with the church that points out to you what is wrong. Because that we must take note of. That's what the church is about. God has designed it that way. And yes, we must mutually submit ourselves, not just to each other, but also to God's Word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, God's Word teaches us doctrine as it reproves us, as it corrects us, as it instructs us in righteousness, as it makes us complete and equips us for every good work. And yes, every now and then that will mean that a brother or sister, having examined their own lives, will come to you with God's word in hand and they will say, I'm concerned about you. Because God's word says this, but I see this in your life. Can we work at this together, my friends? We need to spur each other on to love and good works. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24. Do we spur each other on to love and good works? Or do we just leave each other to kind of carry on the life? Close our eyes to what we see. You see, we are to judge, but there's a right attitude that is important. As we come alongside our brother or sister, and it is to be the good fruit of humility that does it in us. You see, self-righteousness is not a good fruit. It is a bad fruit. But having a genuine, righteous concern for someone, that is good fruit. It's responsibility before God. The last illustration Jesus points to is in verse 45. Have a look at it. He speaks about the treasure of the heart. And I'll read it to you. Verse 45. He says, A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. 
And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. Now, take note of the last bit. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Now, I'm sure your mother told you that often. I remember. Little Calvin, out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. I know. It was true. I needed to be saved. You see, whatever your heart is full of is going to come out. And sometimes you can't even help that. That's what's going to happen. That's what Jesus is pointing to. He's saying, what is the treasure in your heart? Is it mercy? Is that the big treasure? Mercy, God's love towards others. Is that the treasure in your heart? Or is the treasure in your heart a spirit of criticism which keeps coming out towards others? Is that what keeps flowing out of your heart abundantly? What if there is no abundance of good things in your heart? What about faith, hope, love, interest in the work of God and in redemption, in the zeal to win people for God and His kingdom? Is that the treasure of your heart? Or do you constantly have another treasure and all that comes out is constant bitterness, criticism, fault-finding? It's showing what's in the heart. The Pharisees were very much like that and that is why Jesus points it out here. You see, we need to first take that judgmental spirit, that lovelessness, that self-righteousness, we need to take it to the Lord and we need to ask Him to remove it and to replace it with real treasure. What does real treasure look like? God's Word tells us again. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 to 9. This is what real treasure looks like. Whatever is true, says Paul, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure and lovely, whatever things are of good report, meditate on those things. Think of those things. May they be the treasure of your heart. The things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, these do and the God of peace will be with you. You see, the treasure of our heart should be mercy. It should be these good things. It should be the good things we hear about other people, not just the bad. I want to end this morning with four points that I want to make. And I want you to weigh up each of these before the Lord today. The first one I want to call the blind spot test. Now, in every single one of you, now, I, I'm free to admit there are doctors in the house here. I'm no medical doctor. All right? So, the blind spot test, I can only say what I've learned and what I've seen myself. I've d- done this test. Every single one of us, they say, has a blind spot and several blind spots in us. You see, the light that comes into your eyes is taken in by cells which translate this light signal into brain signals. The brain does that, by the way. But they are kind of fairly widely dispersed in your eye. And so what the brain does is it takes these signals coming in and it kind of fills in the blank spots for the cells that aren't there. And it kind of gives you the kind of summary information of what it's seen. And you translate that as a picture. But in actual fact, what you see are little pinpoints of light with little blank spots in between. It's called the blind spot test. And if you want to go and see what that looks like, go to the internet. There's a little thing you can do there. You can download it, print it out, and you will see you've got a blind spot. You didn't know you did. You see, our lives are just like that too. We have to be honest with ourselves and say, yes, I've got a blind spot. I've got several, actually. We've got to admit to that. 
Because if we don't admit to that, how's it going to work? And once we've admitted to it, we've got to be ask God to take those blind spots away from us. You see, those blind spots in us are as big as God's forgiveness. Your blind spots in you, your spiritual blind spots, are as big as God's forgiveness. And when you ask God to forgive you for these things in your life, then you fill up those blind spots with God's love. And you can see with spiritual sight. And only when you've received forgiveness can you be used by the Lord to help someone else to stand. That's the point Jesus is making. So, go and check on your blind spots this week. Physically and spiritually. Secondly, keep each other accountable to God's word. In other words, judge each other. Now, you didn't think you'd hear that this morning. Judge each other. What do I mean by that? When you judge each other, keep these things in mind. In, in mind. Do it humbly. Think of who you are before Jesus Christ. Ask the Lord, Lord, have you removed the beam from my life in this specific aspect? And ask your wife, does she still see it in you? Secondly, do it prayerfully. Lord, do you want me to get alongside my brother or sister? And the Lord will give you peace about that. And don't go ahead unless you have that peace. Thirdly, do it biblically. Are you sure that they've really got sin in their life? Have you actually checked God's word in context? Or have you perhaps taken out a specific little pet thing that you hold on to and you kind of put it into scripture and out there and therefore I will go and speak to my brother or sister? Have you made sure it's really in God's word? Do you get alongside them and judge them lovingly? In other words, you don't stand up in a, private me- in a public meeting like and say, oh, by the way, uh, Marty... No, we don't do it like that. You see, we get alongside them privately. We get alongside them gently and constructively. And then be merciful. Come next to them in humility. Turn to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 to 5. When I said I'm nearly finished, I am nearly finished. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 to 5. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Thirdly, what kind of fruit is your life producing now? I'll put that in other terms. What excuses do you make for sin in your life? Are you showing good fruit? Are you showing the fruit of mercy? What is that treasure in your life that keeps coming out of your mouth in words? Do you have a heart of mercy? And then lastly, so what about non-Christians? You thought I'd never get to that. Do we judge non-Christians? See, we need to ask ourselves another question. How can we judge them? They can't see. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 18 says this, Spiritually, their minds are futile. Their understanding has been darkened. They've been alienated from the life of God. They're spiritually ignorant and their hearts are blind. No wonder they're doing wrong. 
How can we judge them? However, does that make them any the less guilty before God? No. Not at all. So what's the solution? Well, before we judge them, we need to ask ourselves this. Have I given them the gospel message? Because every unbeliever needs to know that Jesus Christ loves them and he can take their sin away. Have you presented them with the gospel before you judge? And yes, in this world we have the task as believers of pointing out what God says we must do. And we have that responsibility in our communities. And that's why when this last legislation came through, as Christians we had to stand up and say what is right and wrong. We weren't judging. We were putting out what God's standards are for all mankind. And so yes, we have that responsibility. But more importantly, we have the responsibility of living out those principles in our lives. And when people constantly, when the world constantly see us as negative, against everything, what is the gospel message we are giving out? Is it one that Jesus loves them, and that there is space for grace and forgiveness, yes, even in their lives? You see, we must always accompany what we live by the call of God's gospel to them. They need to be saved. They don't need our judgment. They already have God's judgment hanging over them. They need God himself and his mercy. And that's our priority towards unbelievers. Don't judge unbelievers by the standards God has set for you and I. They can't see. They can't do it. They need Jesus Christ. And so I'll end with this verse, verse 36 again. Be merciful to others. I'll put the brackets in. Be merciful to others, just as your Father is merciful to who? To you. Be merciful to others. Is that your heart attitude? Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, even though it makes us uncomfortable at times, and it points to areas in our lives that we know are wrong before you. And Lord, we know we've got them in our lives if, even when we have been pointing at other people. Lord, help us to stop. Help us to first come before you and ask you to remove the massive beams and logs in our lives. And then, Lord, help us to lovingly and graciously get around each other and walk the Christian walk together so that you'll be glorified in this church. And Lord, if we've judged unbelievers by the standards for us, forgive us, Lord. Help us to get out of our homes, out of our comfort zones, and out there among unbelievers, and help us to bring them the gospel message before we judge, so that they too can experience your grace and your forgiveness. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for his teaching, Lord. Help us now to apply it to our lives in practice, we pray. Amen.